3: Welcome to Britflix.com. My name's Stuart Wright, and today's guest are Barnaby O'Connor and Matthew O'Connor. Welcome, Welcome to the show.
2: Thanks for having I us on. on.
3: Now, I've got you on to talk about uh, your documentary, The Pickup Game, which is uh, readily available for people to watch in the UK. Where?
2: So it's available on uh, iTunes, um, Amazon, Apple TV, uh, Google Play, uh, any of the sort of uh, online pay-per-view rental channels. Our Vimeo on demand as well, yeah. Yeah, there's a few broadcasters that we're speaking to, but um, that's still in, we're still in conversation.
3: So to give people an incentive to uh, to go and check out those um, those platforms, do you want to give us a brief synopsis to what the Pickup Game is about before we get into talking about how you made it?
2: So the Pickup Game is an in-depth investigation and expose, really, of the pickup industry. Mm. Um, for those of you that don't know what the pickup industry is, pickup industry is basically an industry of men that travel the world and they teach other men a system that they claim guarantees successful women. So they do um, paid seminars where you can go and sit in a seminar room and kind of learn the theory. And then they do what's called boot camps, which is where they take people out into nightclubs and cafes and bars, and they allow them to sort of practice what they've learned in their theory sessions. Um, it is a very big industry. It's a multimillion dollar industry, um, and it's a global industry. So it's in pretty much every major city, uh, and every country in the world. And it's also an industry that is kind of hidden just beneath the surface. So it's the kind of thing that people may have heard of, or they may have, they may have heard of the book, um, the game by Neil Strauss, or they may have read, or heard of some some incident involving people that were into pickup or part of the pickup subculture, but it's not. It's it's an industry that's kind of hidden in plain sight,
3: essentially. Yeah, it's kind of like the indus- an industry that in in the in the sort of twenty first century, at the very least, that was made for the internet, wasn't it? Where you can mm-hmm. stay connected without needing to be mainstream.
4: I think we were talking to um, uh, somebody that deals with educational distribution and uh, they watched the documentary and i think in sort of two or three words they said okay it's terrifyingly interesting it's quite a horrifying story but it kind of keeps you gripped and and kind of interested um pretty much the whole way through
3: yes as a as a morally upstanding citizen that i am the minute your camera pointed at people that were just willing to drop all morals for the sake of a shag was um was quite, and I don't mean that to be pompous or pious or anything, it just was quite amazing the levels of desperation that people were prepared to go to. And obviously, as you say, it's a business. So the amount of money people were prepared to pay to sort yeah. of find a key to unlock that door.
4: Well, I think one of the things that this particular industry praised on is the insecurities of both men and women. And I think the thing is, is that, you know, if you turn around to any down the pub, and you said, "Oh, look! Would you like to be as suave and sophisticated as James Bond?" Uh, they jump at the chance, um, and it then sort of takes you down a bit of a rabbit hole. Of it can be a little bit cultish, and um, you know, uh, leads you into a sort of a very sort of sociopathic um, mentality. Uh,
3: yeah. yeah, I mean that that's that's kind of the the the, the big takeaway from this is it's is that at the first level, you kind of think, you know, and you you show us the footage of the pickup student looking rather cringeworthy talking to women and then blowing him off. You think, oh, bless his cotton socks. But uh, by the end of it, you're like, yeah, this is just the fast track to sociopathy. Like, you know, if you you didn't know you were one, it certainly would awaken it in you.
2: I think, I think this is part of the thing is, it's, we've had some people, I mean, this has caused a lot of controversy, this documentary, Hmm. um, from all sides. Some people, um, obviously, people that were involved in the pickup industry and kind of advocate that lifestyle were very angry and thought it's an unfair view. Other people felt that it wasn't harsh enough, that we should have been more harsh on the pickup industry. And I think what we were trying to show was it's a slippery slope. We don't have any, there's no moral issue. There's no moral point in the documentary against sleeping around. We don't have an issue with people that want to do that. We don't even even have an issue of people that would like to learn how to how to have a slightly better dating life or maybe to to but i just I just think in the case of of the of this and particularly the pickup subculture it, it's a very, very slippery slope, and if you're not careful, the holes that you can fall into um are quite deep and I think that's that's the the, the documentary is really a cautionary tale. Hmm. We're not trying to sort of moralize about casual sex or um, casual relationships, that's not really the point. It's more ultimately, in some ways, actually made for those people that might be on the fence, that might be considering getting into this and saying, look, are you aware what you're buying into? And interestingly, those people are the people that are the most angry about the documentary, if that makes sense.
3: Absolutely. No, I've just listened to um, the Crypto Queen podcast series on BBC Sounds and this is about a fake cryptocurrency. And mm. the pattern of behavior is almost akin to what your professors talked about in your, uh, in your documentary, the idea of you get them in cheap and then you get them buying on bigger packages and bigger packages. And, be, and once you're in, a bit like, I guess, uh, like Brexit voters who are now in denial that it's gone wrong, they've picked a side. Therefore, to tell them it's bad is for them to admit they're wrong. And so they'd rather stand on the hill and argue that they're not wrong then, then reflect on it. And it's it's interesting that on, while on the one hand, yeah, it is about picking up women and learning some skills that you might not have on, on the surface. But, yeah, as you get into it, it's, it's the industry side, not the, the – yeah, I'm not morally against any, anybody doing anything. I find it weird that someone would pay someone $12,000 for the privilege of learning something um, to, to get that. Um, but But I'm getting ahead of myself here because it is an interesting – documentary uh in terms of how 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 far you cover with it what you cover with it what for you guys was the kind of incendiary idea that set you on the journey to make a documentary about the pickup industry where did it start for you
2: I think there was a couple of things um we'd both read the game which was Neil Strauss's book um the game was a book that came out in the early 2000s and it is essentially about the the birth of this industry um which which it came about from there was there were five pickup artists all living in um, Hollywood together, all going out every night, blogging about their experiences, and it became this sort of online community that a lot of people started following and then uh, there was a, a a journalist called Neil Strauss who kind of went undercover in this community and wrote a book about it, and the name of the book is called the game, and it was a New York Times bestseller. I think it sold about 3 million copies worldwide. It was it was at the time, in the early 2000s when it came out, it was kind of a, a, a cultural phenomenon. Indeed, Everybody yeah. was talking about it. Everybody was reading it. Um, one of the guys in it even got his own reality show where he would sort of take geeks in brackets and, know, and then kind of teach them his pickup star and turn them into you know um, seducers, again, sort of in quotes. But um, so we'd read the game and then we had a friend who was a conversation girl for one of these pickup companies. So basically what would happen is students would go along, they they would listen to conversation techniques and and kind of pickup tactics and then they in, in in a seminar setting in like a classroom environment and then they would try that out on this girl and she was a sort of a dummy and they could they could try it out in the in the in the sort of safety of the classroom and then she would give them feedback. And that was the first introduction to actually meeting someone that was properly involved in the industry. Mm. And so she was the first person that we interviewed. Um, and, then it, and then it just sort of grew from there. We, we kind of fell down the rabbit hole, the pickup rabbit hole, basically.
4: I think in the beginning, we were lucky enough to secure an interview with uh, Ross Jeffries. Um, that took quite a while to... Um, to arrange and a few meetings um, with him. He just so happened to be flying into the UK to kind of carry out his last ever, uh, should we say, pickup seminar. And I think the thing is, when we started, the more we looked into the industry and the more we found out, and coincidentally talking to, to Ross Jeffries, when he mentioned about NLP, you look at the amount of psychology-based research and um, kind of hypnosis, conversation, uh, body language, it's quite a well-thought-out methodical um, process um, that these guys are kind of teaching. And I think the thing is, is that one of the things that we tried to mention a little bit in the documentary is that this is not just related to pickup. This is in your everyday life, through advertising, through government, through uh, sort of sales, pyramid schemes, all this kind of stuff, Um, these kind of techniques and tactics are being used everywhere. Um, And so it was also a bit of a kind of uh, a learning curve for us and also to kind of introduce to the documentary how we were going to include some of those other parts that are a little bit more technical than guys just going out and chatting to girls.
3: So, in, so in that so in that sense, securing those securing those interviews was a part of you was part of your commitment to doing it, or did they lead to you going on to make a feature film?
2: So, just 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 to explain very quickly, Ross Jeffries is considered the sort of they call him the Godfather of pickup. Yeah, he was the original guy way back in the eighties that that sort of started the whole movement, or or, or one of the founding members. The idea was to do a documentary on it and then we just went and tried to find okay well who can we interview and one of the things that happened very early on is we wrote to ross jeffries and said look we'd like to come into you and he said well i'm coming to london so if you come and meet me and and um then maybe we can talk about it and once we'd done the interview with ross jeffries that kind of opened the doors with other people because we could say to them well we you know we could go to them and say we're doing a documentary ross jeffries is in it everybody in the pickup Community, community and, again, knows who, who Ross Jeffries is. Everybody in that subculture knows who he is. So then that, that gave us the, 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 the sort of open the door for us.
4: Got you. I think, I think the thing is, is like a little bit like film narrative and sort of plotting out your storyline subplots and kind of themes. We were looking at, at the industry as a whole, And saying right, okay, well, where did it start? Who are the key players? We knew from um, the book, the game, that that, you know there was mystery and uh, Tyler Durden and a couple of other um, companies like RSD that came out of the game. So it was a question of slowly putting together all of the different pieces in order to have enough information to then go through and um, you know and craft a documentary around its inception. Um, kind of the explosion from being a hidden subculture to being, you know, all over the internet, um, especially on YouTube, Instagram, and then of course the kind of the going over the top um, and all of the kind of the negative elements that started coming out of pickup from people being banned from entering countries for mis- misogynistic teaching, uh, you know, uh, assault cases cropping up pretty much everywhere the fact that people were being filmed um, out on the street and at home unaware that that was going on and being used as a should we say, a teaching aid. So it kind of all grew slowly, slowly from those initial meetings that we had set up.
3: I was going to say, so, so from a narrative point of view, when, when, did, when did you begin to realise this wasn't just like a phenomenon, but there was a there was a real, there was a real dark underbelly to this.
2: Well, I mean, I can only speak from sort of my my perspective. I think it took a little bit of time to understand because on the surface, it's kind of well, what's wrong with teaching guys a bit of confidence and what's wrong with teaching them a couple of techniques to help them get a date? Mm. And it, it just took a little bit of time to understand. Okay, there's there's much more at play here. There's much more going on here um in the sense of the uh the, the business side of things and some of the how some of the techniques are are kind of unethical in the way that they're quite manipulative. I mean there's a lot of there, there's a lot of techniques to kind of prey on people's weaknesses. Mm. And I think the the one of the most difficult things about documentary, and I think this is something that people find quite hard um to digest a lot of times is you know there is an element of, the, of these techniques that 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 work if you are willing if you have the moral uh, if you don't have the moral compass and you're happy to apply them in the same way that you know people get scammed by ponzi schemes and and scam callers and you know people can be scammed we're not um we're not infallible and i think i think there's a there's a that It just took a little bit of time to, to sort of see that side of it. And then I think there was, um, there was a guy there was a guy in the doc, uh, documentary, um, Justin Wayne, and he sent us a video. We'd already interviewed him, but he sent us a video of him. This is in the documentary. He, he, he was dating these two girls. He'd, he'd got them both to tattoo his, his name on them. They didn't know about each other, and then he introduced them to each other, after they'd got the tattoo, and he kind of recorded their reaction, mm. and I think at that point and I think at that point it was like okay th- there's a whole other side to this, yeah, and he was kind of you know he was kind of proud of that
3: it was quite an amazing sequence,
2: yeah, I mean he's like, look how good my method is I can do this and and and, and the the whole point of it was that the the girls kind of stuck around, they didn't leave him, so it was a sort of a demonstration of his power over them, and I think when you know things like that, obviously you, you just start to realize. Uh, this is just completely off the deep end, in in, in many ways.
3: Yeah, because because it, it kind of shifts you away from introverted men who just want confidence to say hello to a girl in a bar, to full on misogyny.
2: And, and 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 then also, I mean, I think <laughs> I think the funny thing is, is I think a lot of those pickup instructors, and I, I hope this comes across in the documentary, that live that lifestyle are actually kind of bored with it. Like it's not they don't really necessarily enjoy the sex or they it's more about the conquest. It's more about being able to get the person to get the girl and to sleep with her rather than um, the actual pleasure of you know spending the night with someone.
3: It was a kid, yeah. No, totally because because the the mirror you could hold up to the to the people running the show, as it were, is. It's a bit like rock stars isn't it you know you're 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 25 and you, you rule the world and you've no responsibility then you're 35 and you begin you've got wisdom on your side but you've still got energy then you're 45 and suddenly it's not quite as fulfilling but having made a made a living out of it it's be, that you could see the cynicism of the cash cow element of the people who trusted them to teach them these techniques so it was kind of it, it. It became its own self-fulfilling prophecy. But yeah, you could see the kind of deadness between the eyes. And I think your um, your kind of former pickup artist that you had on um, Paul Janka was was like almost like the voice of the the retiree uh, pickup. You know, like it, it's not a good look as you get older, kind of thing. And I think that could you don't it doesn't need to be told to you. I mean, it comes across really strongly in the documentary that you've got all these people who know nothing. And to get to pull would be amazing for them. Being shepherded around gaudy bars by guys who are just stood at the back going like, as he pulled? Almost like you can just see it's like, as he pulled you? as he, he, he got anyone? And just pushing them forward. Like, like it's like a parent taking a kid to nursery and going, you're going to have to play with the kids.
2: The crazy thing is, these a lot of these pickup instructors, one of the very common is they're all very, like a lot of them are quite dissatisfied with life. Mm. They have a sort of restless, dissatisfied energy. And then at the same time, you've got guys paying literally tens of thousands of dollars because they want that lifestyle.
4: (laughs) So behind the scenes, you've got the instructor going, oh, shit, you know, I really don't want to do this. And then he opens the door and it's like, hi, guys, I'm here, you know, and people are praising him and all that kind of stuff. And I mean, one of... One of the aims of the documentary was to, I mean, we were lucky enough to get um, access to a guy who worked um, as a marketing executive or guru for quite a few of these companies to actually give us the, the real behind the scenes of the, the business side of uh, the pickup industry. And I think the thing is, when you start learning what really goes on behind the scenes when you spend time with the instructors in their real day to day life outside of standing in front of a room of 300 guys, uh, you know, taking all of the accolades and applause? The, the reality is, a lot of the movies, not, they're not fake, but if you approach 200 women and you film it, you are pretty much guaranteed to get one or two people that react well to your approach. And so out of that 200 or 100 different approaches in a day, you'll get one video that you then add to your clip. So when you package them together on something like YouTube or social media, it it makes it look like you're living this absolutely fantastic lifestyle of millions of dollars and hundreds of uh, amazingly hot women and lots of friends and all this kind of stuff. The reality is, is there's four blokes traveling around The world in like hostile dorms living on top of each other, too tired to go out, constantly working on their social media campaigns, and really dissatisfied with kind of where they've got to. Um, But on the surface, to the punter, it looks like a very, very appealing lifestyle um, that they want to buy into. Um, And so it's kind of like scratching that surface a little bit to say, well, look, guys, um, you may think that you're getting one thing, but you're not. Um, so be aware of uh, the promises. I mean, there are people that are guaranteeing 100% success guarantee. How do you guarantee 100% success rate with anyone that you desire? It's not possible.
3: I mean, I mean, the similarities between, I mean, you said NLP, which is Neuro Linguistic Programming. Um, I should have said that before, but um, it's no different than, than in a way, than the successful salesman or woman who phones up two hundred companies and gets a sale. If you're prepared to ring up two hundred companies, which would be soul destroying, if I was asked to do that every day.
2: Well, the, the other thing is, and and I mean, you know, in this sense, I I do have, dare I say, it, like I have some empathy for the instructor. Not maybe empathy is not the right word, but the instructor becomes the brand. Hmm. So you're always on. You're always on in front of the students. The student is paying you money because they want your lifestyle, or they think they, they want the lifestyle that you project. And I think that from, I think that is exhausting to have to do that, you know, every day or you know a few days. It, it, it just just uh, yeah, I, I, I think, and that's another thing that I think adds to the dissatisfaction, is just having to project that success image all the time.
3: On on the flip side of. Looking under the the carpet and behind the curtain of the pickup game industry, you've got Minnie Lane on, who I guess is almost like the moral arbiter of the story because she works in the pickup industry, but she doesn't obviously do this kind of cash grab NLP type thing. She genuinely believes that she, what she wants to do is help men get better at talking to women. Seems to be her thing. And since I watched your film, I had a I had a look at some of her clips on um, where she's been invited on. Talk shows, I think, in relation to either your fil- directly your film or to do with the phenomena of the pickup industry, and she's and the amount of abuse that's in the below the line comments that she receives for just having an alternative view of it is is phenomenal. So, how did you find her and 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 how and and and, uh, and how did you find how was the challenge getting the balance right between? What she had to say about it, and what you were discovering, because obviously there's a there's an exciting narrative of this dark dark world, and you know you want to make you know you want to make a sellable film, but then you've you've got Minnie Lane sort of giving a giving a really good case for what's wrong with this full stop.
2: One of the questions that we were constantly asking ourselves is, okay, what's the alternative? Like, what's the answer if we're going to criticize this? I'm going to say this is this is a a, a, a this is a kind of questionable lifestyle with all kinds of, of potential issues. What is the alternative? And I, I think we kind of wrestle with that for quite a long time. And then about, about way through making the film, um, I actually, I, I heard her on a podcast and she was talking about the pickup industry and she was talking about the value of honesty and, and I just, and it, it just kind of, the, the, you know, the pieces fell into place and we thought, okay, listen, we should really get her involved in the documentary if we can, and we should try and tell her side of the story because because then you've got something that's a little bit more interesting rather than, uh, you know, just the pickup industry is bad, for example. So like, what are the alternatives?
4: I think, I think one for- very important thing to add is that the pickup industry is not all bad or learning to date is not all bad. Um, I did hear on the radio the other day um, that even date.com is now offering some kind of, she say, dating guru to help you get better. Um, I think the thing is, is that the question is, at what point does it go a little bit too far? And I think the thing is with, uh, with Minnie, it's that she approaches it in a very different way to many, many of these other companies. Um, and I think the thing is, is that because of the way that she looks at it, it goes against... I mean, she did work for, for quite a famous pickup company at the beginning. And then she kind of said, okay, well, you know what? I don't like producing little androids that go out and they say the same line. They, they look at women as a number as opposed to a person. And it's a bit dehumanizing. And that's not really... What I want to do, I want to actually help people trust in themselves and believe in themselves to a point where they feel comfortable to go out and, you know, should we say, approach the world as opposed to just approaching,
1: um, you know, women. And
4: that mentality does go against some of the, uh, should we say, lifers um, who are involved in the pickup industry. And it's one of those things where it's them and us, um, you know, you're only saying that we're bad because you're, you know, duped by society's norms and, you know, we live outside of that. And that that's when it sort of borders into the kind of the cult-like, um, yeah, kind of cult-like atmosphere.
3: It'd be a bit like trying to get life lessons off Lemmy from Motorhead when he was still alive, you know. Like, if he started saying, well, you know, there's nothing wrong with this lifestyle, smoking 60 fags a day and filling myself full of amphetamine and drinking Daniels, it's perfectly reasonable. And you taking that as advice, you know, it's like it's extremes are just extremes, aren't they? But go on, sorry.
2: First of all, I think um, there are some bits of advice that you can't really argue with in the sense that it's like, well, when you if you go, go over and sort of speak to somebody, you should try and be confident. If they're not interested, don't take it personally. Take a step back. It's not, you know, the, the, and I think this is, this is, I think the problem is a lot of people that are very seductive, pardon the pun. Mm. Yeah. they may say one or two things that are correct. So they may say one or two things that resonate with people. And, and, and especially if they're charismatic and they're persuasive. And some of these people are, they're very good speakers you know they're very eloquent and they're very you know they know how to they know how to warm up a room they know how to get the, the, you know they their job is to go and speak to 400 people in a big seminar room mm. week after week after week they know how to do it they know how to run their patter and maybe there are one or two innocuous harmless bits of advice in there like have value in yourself and if someone doesn't like you it's okay it's fine don't try not to take it so personally try but, but the problem is that that that's then connected to a whole load of quite unhealthy, damaging advice, and it's it's, it's especially if, if some of the people that go on this are quite naive or they're socially naive or they're not very good at discerning between, you know, what's acceptable and what isn't. That's I think where it starts to get where you start to you you start kind of like slide down the slope without even realizing that that's what you're doing. So I just want to be very clear about that. Because that could very that could quite easily be misconstrued. I think there are some bits of advice like be confident, and that that on the surface, what I what I I I, I you know I don't want to say like well the pickup industry has some good advice because that, I mean that's obviously like a, <laughs> a bit of a as a bit of a difficult statement because it's it's that there may be some things that sound this is very hard to explain in a way that. I, I I don't want it to sound like there is some good, there is some good advice in the sort of pickup subculture because a lot of it is ter- a lot of it is terrible and quite damaging. But there there may be some things that people say, and there may be some that, that that you know it sounds like it makes sense, or or there may be some some sort of fairly harmless stuff that people say, and that that's what draws people in. You know, are you frustrated? Is it are you having a tough time dating? And the thing is, dating is very difficult. It's very this is—I mean—it's hard, I and mean, it's full of disappointment and frustration, and—and mm. and that's kind of what people are appealing to.
3: No, I mean, all, all I was going to say was, you know, a stopwatch is right twice a day. You know, so you, you, you yeah. can, yeah you, yeah, you can, you can say lots of encouraging things. I mean, some of the advice they give you could give to someone going for a job interview. You could give to someone who's going to meet some who's going to a party where they don't know anyone. You know, it doesn't have to be about dating, the advice they're given is just how to be, some of it is just about how to generally be a decent human being. But when it becomes, when it then moves into, right, you've learned those basic skills, here's what we're really about, it begins to get darker because when it becomes, it's a numbers game and the only way you're going to feel satisfied as a man is if you can chalk up on your bedpost how many women you've got and you can tell all your friends. And that's and that's the kind of Faustin deal that people see. I mean, I'm pretty sure... I'm not pretty sure at all. I I can, I can assume, sorry, that a lot of people go in there thinking I'm going to try and get myself a girlfriend because I ain't got one and I'm struggling to get one. And then and then what you see on your documentary is that there's this there's this change of mind, which is I can become a machine. I can just click my fingers and women will come flocking to me. That's a really powerful
4: thing. I, I think how they sell it up as well, um, or some. I mean. Maybe there needs to be a distinction between, uh, should we say, dating advice and the hardcore pickup industry. Mm. Um, I think the thing is, is that when you, generally speaking, how it works, it says, okay, would you like to get better with women? Have you been dumped you know, by some girl that you really like? She didn't really like you. Okay, you want the girl of your dreams. Who is the girl of your dreams? Is it, let's put it in numbers. Is she a four? Is she a five? Is she an eight? Because you look like the guy that deserves a nine. So what you want to do is you want to go out and you want to practice on two, threes, and fours. And then once you've got that locked down, you can work on the five, six, and sevens, and then so on and so forth until you get to the one who is exactly what you're looking for. And in order to get there, you need to trip up, you know, step over hundreds of other ones. And we're, we're going to help you along that journey to get the person that is right for you, um, that's going to love you, and, and will tick all the boxes of the things that you desire. And so a lot of people go in expecting, you know, I'm just going to get a girlfriend. And then they go, ah, okay, I need practice in order to get the perfect girl. And then that starts you down that, that kind but, of but rabbit they, hole. And, but,
3: but, but that conversation, that kind of carrot and stick sort of mentality of, of of um of what you're asking people to do, is in a way the pickup artistry part of it almost doesn't matter because as 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 transpires in in your documentary, it's just a sales funnel really. Once you've got these people on your hook, you don't want them off it. I mean, there's a guy, there's a guy, there's a guy from Warrington did a documentary called Contrapreneur, which is about all kinds of all kinds of campaigns that are reliant on drawing people in promising them something for nothing. Everything you want, the key thing is, is is the offer got a seven in the price? You know, if it's one nine nine seven, then it's, that's usually the sign it's a contributor. There's all these. Hey
0: y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer.
3: Things that, and it was watching a documentary. I was like, these are the same techniques. It's like, on the one hand, yeah, these guys are good at picking up women and they, and they don't mind sharing what they do to do it. But, but in the end, the people coming in like sausage machined in are just cash in their pocket in a way.
2: Well, the thing is, you you know, how do you get someone to pay you 10 grand to spend a week with you? Hmm. If I came up to you now and said, Stuart, pay me 10 grand and we'll, we'll spend a week together. You know, I, I'm pretty sure I know what you'd say. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah,
0: so yeah. Very yeah. much yeah. about
2: you've got to get people. To, yeah, you've got to get people to buy into the lifestyle, and 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 uh, you know, the the they they do these tours, they do these free seminars. Anyone can come along, and then they upsell kind of the paid seminar. The which, paid is, seminar which is, is compre- you know, which is the which is
3: the entrepreneur technique. It's that's what that's what was amazing. Yeah. watching yeah, yeah. it is it's it's offer something free, go to a hundred dollars. Pretty soon, you've said, look, you're nearly there. I mean, it's Scientology, isn't it? You know, just go a bit, pay a bit more, and you can be in the next rung of the ladder, or whatever it might be. The big surprise for me watching it, because going into it, I thought it was just going to be about a bunch of men, and I'd see, you know, I'd seen the stories of the guys who got banned out of countries before, you know, in the the mid nineties and that. So I was kind of aware that there was this dark side to it, but I really wasn't aware of how how cultish it, it was in terms of how you know and how defensive people are like students and the people practising.
2: I mean, we got a lot of backlash after the documentary came out. I
3: think <laughs> we still got a lot of backlash. <laughs> still okay, yeah. What particularly... I mean, because like you said at the beginning, I don't think you're saying... I don't think you're. I don't think you're trying to say something is bad or something is good, but what you're saying is, this goes on, what do you think? So in what sense mm. are people angry at you for what you've portrayed in the film?
2: Because I guess... People have took, kind of took it as this documentary is against people you know, going out to bars and trying to chat people up. They, it, what were they angry about? I think the funny thing is, like I said before, the people that were most angry about it were the people that we were actually trying to reach.
4: Well, answering the, the why were people angry, I think, uh, Stuart, you touched on it. There's a very cultish side to this industry. And I think <clears throat> the thing is, is that if you, have some, if you have a guy that's very, I mean, we mentioned it in the documentary, someone who's very insecure, doesn't really have that much of a social life or interests outside of, let's say, computers or um, other sort of part times, they're quite sort of insular, and they're struggling to communicate with people in general, um, including women and other males. When they get drawn into this lifestyle, they effectively join this brotherhood. This family of like-minded people with similar interests, and I think the thing is is that you if you go in on the free seminars, you start paying a little bit of money, you start seeing the same faces around your neighborhood and you are put in contact with other people that are also within you know interested in the industry they have their own kind of lingo um, it's very easy to spot people that are heavily into uh, say pick up, um, when you know the signs of the behavior and I think what happens is, is that eventually people have a group of friends and they go out with those group of friends and they party and they shag and they have a good time and the further down that line they go and the closer that they get to okay I want to pay for the instructor boot camp because I also want to be a teacher and run my own business and have my own kind of um, it's really seductive, and I think what happens with a lot of the kind of um, the the backlash that we've got is that if anyone is seen to disagree with the pickup industry, to attack the industry, to kind um, of, shall we say, shake any of the foundations that um, that is the norm for these people, they get very worried um, and they get very defensive because. Um, it's that whole thing of the them and us. It's we don't understand. We're we're the sheep, um, and and they're the wolves because they they're the alphas and they know something that that the majority of the public don't. And and I think the thing is is that if you've been sucked into that and you feel that your friend you're going to lose your friends and you'll go back to you know being, not being nobody but being the average Joe. That that's a very Scary prospect for some of these
2: people. I think the reason we got so much backlash is the documentary is essentially
4: questioning the pickup ideology. Okay, and it's also showing how how the, the students are duped into mm. this purchase funnel. Yeah,
3: that, that was that that was the main takeaway from me the, the the sales funnel element of it because mm. because I was you know I've seen bits and bats over time. I was familiar with the with the Strauss book and everything, so I kind of knew what it, the kind of premise of what it was but to see it just be the same as people who were selling crypto coins who were selling franchise for teaching god knows whatever through an Instagram account it was exactly the same techniques and like you say you go on the free seminar you you meet people and you've got a, a brotherhood for want of a better expression and it kind of it can, I mean it literally is because of it, it the uh, the insecurities of men trying to pick up women it has it has more of a kind of Sharp, sharp edge to it when it when when people get too deep into it, and mm. obviously that 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 brings me on to your introduction of Lisa Fox, the district attorney. Was that a story that you were looking to cover in in terms of it, or is that is that a story you co- you found while in the process of making the film? That was a
2: story that we found while we were making the film, mm. and I, I think I think there was actually. Just to talk about the process. There was uh, there was a lot. I think it was a quite. It's a real learning experience making this documentary mm-hmm. in terms of it. Uh, yeah. I, I, I because I think in the beginning it was it was an exploration of and also you know there's an understanding of okay I understand that people are frustrated I understand that they're they're fed up with dating and 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 I understand why this might look like it's appealing. So there was there, it was really quite a journey that we went on in terms of realizing okay there's a there's first of all there's a whole other side to this um some of which is is really you know questionable and there was a lot of things that kind of happened because it took i think it took about four years from start to finish Mm -hmm. because we weren't working on it all the time we we would we would film a little bit we'd uh we'd get we'd we'd do other things do other projects then we come back to film a little bit more so it wasn't it wasn't something that it, it, it was something that really had time to kind of get time to think about it and understand what your thoughts were on it. And I, I mean, I just wanted to add very, very quickly before I forget for anyone that's kind of listening to this and is thinking about making documentaries and how we were talking in the beginning about how do we get involved in this and how do we find these people to interview? Mm. I, I think you'd be very surprised at how much, especially if you're an English person in the U S or being that the, the People, you know, you can always if you want to interview, just write to them and ask. It's 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 amazing how often people go like, oh yeah, sure, okay, we can have a call or no problem or or I'm not sure. Can we talk about it? I mean, don't be don't be shy about asking people. That's how that's how we've got most of our interviews. And not everybody says yes, but most of the time, you'd be surprised.
3: Is is there any pick up artist techniques you can use for getting guests on documentaries? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure are. <laughs> Can I ask, I mean, in that sense then, while you're while you're accruing these interviews and these people in, in that world, how is how as filmmakers and, and like you said, you you weren't doing it full time. So how do you keep 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 on point as to what you think the story is and or how do you let new elements evolve without sort of, for want of a better word, without project creep sort of you end up going in all directions, but no direction at all.
4: Who said there wasn't any
3: Project Creep?
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, tell, well, tell us about it. Tell us
3: about where, where maybe you got... I
4: think we were late a couple of times.
3: <laughs> maybe I'm
2: getting ahead of myself a bit here, but we, I, the, the film was modelled on Goodfellas. I don't know if you, see, you know Goodfellas, where it kind of starts out. And, and, and so you start watching Goodfellas, and it's this mafia lifestyle. And then very slow, like slowly over the course of the film, it, it unravels, the lifestyle unravels. Mm. And that's kind of what we were going for. Yeah. I think we always, even from the beginning, we felt that. So then the question was, okay, well, how do, how do we, maybe not from the very beginning, but I think once we'd understood, okay, there's a, there's a, there's a kind of, there's a sort of dark side to the pickup industry. Once we'd understood that it's like, okay, the, the format that we want to follow is, um, called a slow exploration and in the same way that as you watch goodfellas you kind of realize oh my god it just gets more and more crazy to the point where at the end um you know you sort of realize well that that lifestyle that that guy had it's, it's a good thing that he sort of left it behind that was the kind of model that we wanted to follow and then it's a case of trying to figure out okay which bit goes where and actually the most difficult bit i think was the 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 first half of the film where you're trying to set the world up and you're trying to explain to everybody, okay, this is the kind of thing that happens. These are the, some of the techniques that people use in a way that, you know, you're, 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 you're just presenting it in a way that's kind of interesting and engaging, but also teases towards something. Okay. We, we will get into the analysis of this. And I think, I think that's, again, that's one of the things that people critic, have criticized the film for is that, well, why do you just let these people talk? You know why do you just let them talk for the first half of the film? It's because we're 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 trying to present this this world to you as the viewer. We're trying we're trying to just let you watch it and soak it up before we start actually getting into the analysis and the critique of it.
4: I, I think when we started the filming of the documentary, it was kind of before hashtag um, Me Too, and I, I mean. How many years did it take? Four years, maybe over four years to, to complete the documentary. And I think the thing is, is that as we were learning, I think also the public view on this type of behaviour was changing as well. And not we, you know, not to go against, um, shall we say, that movement, but we were we were kind of sitting there to think, okay, we could go down this corridor of naming and shaming, uh, and just you know, throw all the bad stuff um, into a documentary and put it out there. But it was like, okay, there is that dilemma of, okay, within this industry, not everyone is bad. And that means that, that's a very sort of tricky point because you've got some very bad behavior on one side, but you've also got some, shall we say, healing and help on the other. And what we didn't want to do is we didn't want to make a documentary that just grabbed the pitchfork and the torch. Let's go after these evil guys. It's Mm. like, okay, we need to set up where it's come from, how it got there, how social media and the internet played a part, such a big part um, in this kind of uh, underground world. And then, shall we say, how it got a little bit out of hand to completely out of hand. And so it's it's a educational piece as to if you were considering getting dating advice or help or taking part in any sort of seminar, you can kind of see some of the signs that maybe you might be going down the wrong path, and then at which point you should, you know, use your moral compass and exit.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think many, for example, who I, I think one of the difficult things here is, you know, when 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 we're talking about the pickup industries, from, to my mind, like when you say the pickup industry, I'm talking about the more questionable, manipulative side of things. I don't consider that dating advice. So it's it's kind of you know you might say well there are good people in the industry like like Minnie who I think is teaching honesty and teaching uh, kind of self worth and and the importance of of, of being the thing, being honest is attractive. People find honest people find generally people that are themselves truly themselves. they actually find that quite attractive you know ironically, and i I think you know is is Minnie a part of the pickup industry? I mean that's kind of a almost like a semantic debate is she i, I mean perhaps so in that if, if she is, you could say, well, in that sense, yes, that you know she is teaching something that I think is healthy and useful and good
3: but 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 in a sense though is like a very niche. Um, lifestyle coach, isn't she? You know, if you go to you go to someone yes. for kind of high end careers advice, a lot of what they're going to tell you is be yourself, be more confident in your, in your own abilities. You know, the imposter syndrome gets everybody in every in every walk of life in some, <clears throat> unless they're psychopaths. So some people just need that encouragement and a and a confidence coach, however you want to describe it. And obviously, because she's specialising in making her, her services <laughs> sort of available for dating. It's sort of it gets it can get lumped in with this pickup thing, but it's it's not the same. I, I you 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 understand that from the film quite clearly because she cares about. I mean, I think I don't remember if it's her who says it, but it's that idea of if 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 you learn these skills that the pickup artists tell you, which is basically shut down who you are, be this shark, mm. then whenever you want to step out of that and do, you can't. You only you can only be a shark to get women. So therefore, you're. You're numbing yourself, which is only going to make matters worse, not better, seem to be. Whereas if you can explore who you are and discover who you are, then you can be happier with yourself as well as who you might end up finding as a partner.
2: Well I think I think the point is if you're not being if you're not being authentic, it's a, that's a bit of a new age word, but if you're not being authentic, you're never gonna meet someone that's right for you. Mm. And 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 I think Minnie says this in documentaries that maybe you don't care about that right now. Mm. You know, maybe you you're happy to play the pickup artist role, and again, I understand how that might be appealing to someone in you know in their sort of early late teens, early twenties, or what are very frustrated. But that I I I totally get it. But at some point, the chickens are gonna, you know, at some point that you got it that you will care about that, and I and I think that's a that's one of the best points that she makes mm. in in the documentary. Is the sort of thing of, of in the long term. Um, it's not sustainable, and many many pickup instructors that that we they, they they find it very very hard to um, have relationships because they can't maintain that the, the, the dynamic is built on a sort of power dynamic a lot of the time mm. of them being the alpha of them being the, the person the pickup artist being the person with more status than the, than the than the girl that they're with, and that's just not maintainable in the long term. You know, it's just not sustainable because eventually you have to come out. You have to. And it's, I, I know it sounds very obvious, but. When you see these guys on social media and when you see them, um, you know, the way they present themselves, none of that is touched on and none of that is really talked about.
4: Just quickly as well, because you mentioned about Paul Janka kind of, shall we say, retiring from the pickup industry and Mm. kind of saying, well, look, you know, as you mentioned, in your 20s, maybe this sort of lifestyle of uh, gung ho, and he bought in a storm. When you get to sort of 30, 40, 50, 60, it, it, what kind of life does that bring? And I think one of the stories um, that kind of played out from when we first interviewed Ross Jeffries, bearing in mind, I think he was the first ever interview that we did. When we right. When you look at the footage of him when he was younger, um, and of course the first interview, and then you look three or four years down the line and his, you know, health is ailing, he's getting old. He, he doesn't have anyone to kind of love and care for him No kids, there's, there's nothing. And He lives in a house with his cat. That's kind of the model of the story as well. It's like, look, if you live this lifestyle of emptiness, you will eventually end up at, in this sort of position. And whereas Paul Janka was kind of saying, look, I saw the error of my ways. I've got out of that particular lifestyle. And I realized that, that you know, um, sharing and giving and caring are so much more rewarding uh, life experiences than, um, you know, to to not have those things. And so there's kind of that underlying story of from the beginning to where he is now and and some of the other characters that, that kind of managed to escape that
3: fate. Yes, a man—a man with his a man alone with his cats—is quite the fitting end. The
2: really odd thing about that is, Ross asked us to film that. We actually we went to interview him, and he mm. said, "Can you please film my cats? And please make sure that they get in the documentary." And I and I was there, and I was like, "But do you not understand? Like, this looks—I don't know. Do you not understand how? I, I mean, it's—it was
3: odd." It was very odd, but 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 even I mean, in a way, obviously, because you know, you, you don't get the moniker of the Godfather of the pickup industry by by accident, and I guess if he, mm. that's like in that world, he's a celebrity, so yes. he's he's always had his adoring public, for want of a better expression, and I guess that's that that can lose a lot of people, you know, a lot a lot of better people than him have lost their sense of self awareness once people mm. start throwing adoration and no criticism at you wherever you go because you're so good at what you do
2: I think also as we kind of spoke to many about this maybe on some level this is maybe on some level he's he, he that he's not even aware of he's trying to put a message out there I don't
3: know <laughs> yeah yeah yes yeah. <laughs> it do you think it was some sub- subliminal message of don't be like me
2: I don't, I, I don't know I mean this is the whole thing of, of you know somebody can write something. And people take it completely different how it was meant.
0: Mm.
2: And there's that thing of like, does the writer, you know, does the writer control? If if something is taken differently than how you meant it, is there a sublim? Is there a subconscious message in there? Something you know, I, you know, what part of that was subconscious or I don't know. But it, it was like I said, he asked us to film that, and he said, please put, please put my cats wow. in the documentary. I mean, he's obviously very, very fond of them.
3: In terms of pulling together your this this idea of the 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 um, the good sort of here's a great life and then slowly expose that maybe it's not so great. What became the storytelling challenges for you pulling the footage you had together into a story and what and what did the what did the post production process teach you about the story that wasn't evident when you were filming it? Post production
2: uh I will go first on this post production was fucking difficult okay. it was an absolute nightmare. It was really, really hard because it's very, very challenging to tell the story of uh a subculture you're not telling the story of one person you're telling you're trying to tell the story of a uh, a subculture of people over the course of probably about forty years mm and that was really, really challenging. And we had we had loads of material, and so much of it was compelling. So much of it was outrageous or heartfelt. Or we had you know a lot of stuff with students trying, and and you, you kind of feel for the student because they're they're sort of a patsy in this in a lot of ways.
3: Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it
2: it took. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a case of. Right, we're going to go out and film. But now we've got material. Now we're going to put it together. It was we'll film some stuff. We'll start editing that together. We've got a rough skeleton. Okay, what's missing? Go and film a bit more. Edit a little bit more. A bit more. A bit more. So it, it, it's a kind of gradual process of, even to the extent where in the last few months we're still going out and we're filming B roll. You know, okay. so we put like placeholder. We put placeholder images in, or we we put some stock images in. And then we go out and we film the B roll to replace the the temporary stock that we've got. It was but it was incredibly uh challenging just because of the amount of the, the the story is quite complex in terms of trying to communicate everything about about the pickup subculture and mm. and trying to build to to follows and um yeah it was it was very 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 challenging
4: in uh, the post production side of things so in terms of putting it together uh I mean we had uh as always, hundreds of hours of footage to go through, and I think maybe the documentary would have been better suited as uh, like a serialized version because you could handle or you could approach each of the individual steps, you know, one episode at a time, and then you could build towards your kind of the climax. And as we were kind of putting everything together, I think the rough cut was about four and a half, five hours. And then you kind of look at that and you go, okay, well, how are we going to get that down to an hour and a half? What can stay in and what has got to come out? And I think the thing is, is that with so many different tactics and elements and you know psychological tricks and so on and so forth that are employed and taught by um, the the pickup industry, how do we how do we attack that particular phase? Because there are so many subparts to part one then you've got to get into part two and the different lingo and, you know, you don't want to lose your, your audience because you're, you're being a little bit too technical or you're adding something in that doesn't um, reference another part of the story or, you know, it's a bit of a red herring, but it's super interesting. So how trimming the documentary down to, um, I think it's an hour and ninety minutes.
3: As co-directors, how do you... Settle your creative differences when you're taking four and a half hours and getting it to 90, 90 minutes.
2: <laughs> what are you, this is, I mean, the thing is, so this this was quite funny. <laughs> so we have a very frank. <laughs> <we have> a, <laughs> am I going to get in trouble for telling this story? Probably. <laughs> Never mind. Look, look, I, the, the thing is, I always try and be candid with this kind of thing because I think it doesn't help people. You know, it, it's a complicated process making a documentary, mm. and it requires a certain amount of. It's like a war of attrition in some ways. Like you just have to keep going, and um it requires a certain amount of like fortitude just just to push on and just to get it done. Of course it does, yeah. But we we we, we had a we had a story editor that came and and worked with us, and uh, Barney and I we're very we're very forthright in our feedback. We don't hold back, and we. And I always know he will tell me what he thinks. And we had—I mean, this—the story editor was sent by the investor to kind of oversee the process. And Barney, Barnaby and I had some huge rows in front of her. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what. I don't No,
4: she sat there and was like. What? <laughs>
2: And she's reporting back to you know, these guys are (laughs) screaming and shouting at each other in the editing room. (laughs) Because at the end of the day, it's okay, fine, sure.
3: Can you tell me one each? Like a a baby you had to kill, as it were, that that one that you both, either the one you wanted and it just couldn't, you know, you had to agree to not leave it in. Is there any any sort of uh, babies you had to kill that you remember?
2: I'm trying to think. There was a great speech by Minnie that I, that had to come out just because it couldn't quite fit. Um, wow. I'm trying to remember what, what we argued about. I think a lot of the times, um, actually...
4: I was a proponent be- of putting in a lot more shocking reality. I thought that we didn't include some elements that I think would have, um, should we say, shone a, a slightly poorer light on, on the pickup industry mm. um, because even even our executive producer was like,
0: "Oh my god, that's too much." Really? <laughs> okay.
4: Yeah, yeah.
2: There was some stuff that was too much. So, so that oh. yes, that's true. There was a lot of backwards and forwards about is it too shocking? Because some of the really, really outrageous stuff actually was toned down a little bit. Well, not yeah. really, but but it not the really outrageous stuff. It's just there was too much of it mm-hmm. that I think to the point where. I think the, and, and I, I just want to be clear, I've never, I never shout at anybody else. Like I never shout at somebody that was working for me. I would do it with
3: Barnes because he's oh, my no. brother. <laughs> hey, so no, I, I, I completely understand. No. Yeah. He's yes, my so, yeah, brother. Yeah.
2: And at the end of the day, we leave it. And, you know, I don't want to say like, toxic, uh, toxic workplace thing. It's fine. No, it was very polite and,
1: and he's generally speaking
2: to you know <laughs> a professional and, and and you know try and be like
3: that is this the subtext am i supposed to read the subtext there Barnaby? Is, is this <laughs> is this a cry for help this podcast <laughs> <laughs> one last question for you both going into this story you both knew a lot obviously about you perceived a lot about what what was going on and what was good or bad about it so just just what one from each here what what was what was a surprise that you uncovered in making this film that you wouldn't have known
4: before you made it? That's a very good question. Can I start with something that we did know? Go on. I think the thing is, is as filmmakers, I mean, sometimes, sometimes this is a sad um, situation, is that, but anyone that kind of makes films or music or writing or whatever, when, when you start to learn that craft, you see, um, shall we say the implications of it everywhere you look. Um, you know, so with documentary, with film, with news, with journalism, all that kind of stuff. And kind of sometimes you feel that you know the plot, that, you know, you know where, where it's heading. Or you look at something or I'll give an example of something on YouTube or Facebook or Instagram. And it's like me pranking my sister. And you kind of look at it and you're like, OK, it's set up there's no way that you could have the camera there, the music mm. here, you know, this is obviously a pre-orchestrated um, setup, but there are millions of people that believe it's real. Mm. And in the comments, they're like, oh my God, that's such a great prank. And it's like, well, okay, because you're in the industry, you can see where the edit is, you can see, um, you know, with the reality TV, that a lot of it is is practice reality. It's like okay, sorry. Can you do it again because we have missed that? And and I think the thing is, is, from a filmmaker's perspective, going into the looking into the sort of the pickup industry, you could see the use of video of audio you know, in a should we say in a, in a slightly negative way, where it had been cut to the, at the right point, where you know the graphics were covering you know some other element like the guy hiding behind um, behind the tree and I think the thing is is that from a member of the public I don't think people realize about editing about camera position about setup and and they get duped into believing that it's real mm. just because it's on YouTube yeah. um, and I mean that was one thing that was kind of in my head of like okay showing that side of things I think, for me, it was really, really important. Trying to educate people to everything that you do see online uh, and on TV and in the news can be edited, and it probably has been before it's reached you. Um, so do question the things that you see. Um, I think from my
2: point, it, 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 it sounds cheesy as anything, but I actually, I, I think the biggest lesson was the value of honesty in relationships. And I don't just mean with, um, <clears throat> you know, like kind of romantic, I just mean, in general, it's important to try and be candid and upfront with people. And when you see, when you spend that much time around people that that play, you know, that are, that are working an image so much, you, you kind of, yeah, I think that... It, Ironically, it came out of being around people that were always sort of pretending to be something else.
3: I must admit that was quite a reassuring message in the film that I got. To be honest with you,
2: yeah, I, I, I mean, I think it is the core message. I, I think that's what we're trying to say to the people that are tempted by this lifestyle. Is and the things I, I met so many students. Who were just oh, if I can just learn this bit of game or this tactic or this if I can just practice and and, and so many times I remember I was just sitting and thinking Do you know what there's nothing you are cool you are a cool fun attractive guy already you don't need any of this you've just been you've you've just convinced yourself we and and I think yeah I think that was the it, as, as corny as it sounds I think it was just the value of honesty and I think most people actually are not honest uh, in a um, there's a whole other conversation being authentic is difficult
3: it is indeed now on that on that positive note I'm going to have to wrap us up and say thank you very much for giving us your time on the BritFlix podcast
2: thank, thank you. you very much for having yeah, us on thank <laughs> you